I think if any, any retailer were to take a week and go down and visit where their bananas come from and see how much work and how arduous the conditions are for banana farming, and then think back to how they are using bananas as a loss leader at retail, also that they could drive margin in other categories. And if they knew that it would cost them cents more per pound to switch to an Equifruit brand, it would be a, a no-brainer. Greetings, everyone, and welcome to the Produce Buzzers Podcast. We are so happy you have joined us today. And I think you will be too after the show is over because you will learn a lot about fresh fruits and vegetables, how to select and store them, how to prepare and cook them, and surprising facts about their history and origin. We hope it inspires you to eat more fresh fruits and vegetables, not only for your health, but also for your delight and pleasure as you explore their amazing world of taste and delicious flavors. Eating more of them will transform your life in so many positive ways. So settle back, relax, and get ready for another delicious adventure with the Produce Buzzers. Greetings, Produce Buzzers podcast fans, and welcome to another delicious episode of the Produce Buzzers podcast. I'm your host, Edwin Stepp and executive editor for ProduceBuzz.com. I am joined once again by Teresa Nolan, the president and founder of Produce Buzz, and Rick Stepp, a contributing editor to Produce Buzz. We're missing our beloved colleague, Cynthia Benedetto, today. She couldn't make it, but she'll be back next time, I'm sure. So today, Produce Buzzers fans, we have a guest on the show who has set out to turn the multi-billion dollar global market for bananas on its head. Bananas are the world's most popular fruit and always top the list of fruits most purchased by consumers. As a result, the industry is one of the most profitable sectors of the fresh produce industry. Yet, the farmers and workers who grow them have for decades received only a small percentage of those profits. Our guest today is trying hard to change that. Kim Shikal is the Director of Sales and Marketing at Equifruit, a leading importer of bananas in Montreal, Canada. She calls herself a banana badass. <laughs> Over the past eight years, she has established Equifruit as the Canadian market leader for fair trade bananas, and her sights are set on global fair trade banana domination. Her fearless and bold approach is making waves in the produce industry. In 2021, Kim was recognized as Produce Person of the Year by the Ontario Produce Marketing Association. And in 2022, she was recognized by a leading trade journal in the produce industry, the Packer. She was put on the Packer 25 list, which recognizes leaders, innovators, and agents of change across the fresh produce supply chain. With 20 years of sales experience, she loves challenging people to rethink their consumption habits and consider fair trade as a sustainable solution in produce. Ken, welcome to the show. Thanks for joining us. Yeah, thank you for inviting me. I'm super pumped to be here. Great, great. Now, I know our listeners are intrigued by your self-proclaimed title of Banana Badass, <laughs> and we're going to get to that <laughs> later. But first, I want to know about Kim Shikal. 
Tell us about your background. Are you native of Montreal? I'm a native of Montreal, first generation. My parents immigrated from Poland and Egypt in the 70s. Wow. And so all my siblings and I were born here. And uh, we didn't grow up in the produce industry like you all. Um, but I found my way into my love for sales and marketing, starting in the salon and beauty industry, you know, marketing spas and day spas and beauty services. And then I decided to go back and do a year of culinary school or back in the day. And I, I turned that into a career in catering and event planning, always around food. That was always something that was interesting to me. Um, but I got to a point in my career where I thought, okay, I know I have a talent for sales and I can either help people to spend money on big expensive parties or I can have a little bit more impact in the world. And I wasn't sure what that was going to look like until I met my now boss and the president and owner of Equifruit. And once I learned about the history of the banana industry and that the mission of Equifruit was to change the banana industry and make fair trade, not a niche product, but really um, just the mainstream product, I was on board. I was looking for a new sales challenge. And I think we can all agree that I'll be challenged from now until my last breath. <laughs> well, certainly so. And, you know, this is this is a, not a, an emerging market that you've jumped into. This is a no. very mature market that's been around. And I, I think bananas were probably the first global export and fresh produce business, weren't they? That's a great question. I would think if they weren't the first, then they certainly have been the most successful. Yeah. I mean, the, the, the vision of the big multis over a century ago was to make bananas more readily available, especially in North America, than citrus and apples and at a more competitive price. So check, check, you know, they did that. Right. right. Yeah, they certainly did the competitive pricing thing, didn't they? And that's part of the problem that has emerged over those decades. Yeah. Uh, you know, when you compare the price of bananas to apples in the grocery store, what is it, two or three times more for apples than bananas usually? At least, that, at least that's my experience. Yeah, it's nuts. I mean, I live in Montreal and we're, we, we're very close to many apple orchards. So every year it's just part of our culture. You go apple picking in the fall. And I mean, I've done the math before. I've driven myself to an apple orchard, picked the fruit myself, drove it back in my own car, and the price per pound was more expensive than bananas that, as we know, came from thousands of miles away, had to be professionally ripened, handled with care, went on a series of trucks and boats. I mean, it's yeah. totally bananas when right. you think about it that way. <laughs> Totally bananas. Okay, Kim. Teresa loves puns, and we're going to get to some puns later. Just have a little fun. <laughs> that was a good start off. Well, let's go back to the beginnings of Equifruit and the inspiration for that. Who, who, uh, who, who had the the bright idea to start this business? And tell us about its history. Yeah. So Equifruit was founded by a mother and daughter. Actually, in two thousand and six they saw that there was a gap in the market for fair trade certified bananas. And so bless their hearts, they went out and spoke to a bunch of retailers and distributors and got enough demand to start bringing in a load a week of fair trade organic bananas. Wow. And uh, a number of years later in 2013, 
the mother was ready to retire, daughter was going back to school. And so they sold the business to our now owner who um, at the time she had three young children, was looking for a new challenge, wanted to be her own boss. And the description of the company was something along the lines of, you know, flexible work hours, something about <laughs> sustainability and ethical business practices. It was very vague. Right. And she's like, that sounds perfect. And next thing you knew, she was, you know, on her way to transforming the banana industry. Wow. That's yeah. And amazing. so our team has grown since then. I was the third hire for the company. And now we have people across Quebec and around Toronto. And our director of operations is now in uh, Panama. So we're slowly spreading out and, and figuring out this whole banana industry thing and trying to make it better for the next century. Yeah. So Echo Fruit's a pretty new company. When did it start? Or In 2006. We six, started okay. imports officially in 2007. Oh. And that yeah. was the original owners or was that under yes. the new owners? Okay. Yeah, that yeah. was the original owner. So we've That's been bringing in fruit for 15 years now. And you said the first, she brought in one load to begin with. What is a load? A tractor trailer or a cargo uh, yeah, container? So what? Yeah, so one truckload would have uh, 20 pallets or 960 cases, each case having 40 pounds. Okay, got it. Mm -hmm. And uh, was, was she ripening them herself? Were the no, retailers she, ripening them? Who was doing that work? Yeah, so she was selling to a distributor who would ripen. And then the majority of the customers in the early days were really smaller, natural, organic food stores. And okay. also they started a program with, Sobeys as well in Quebec. Sobeys is the right. second largest retailer in Canada. And that Quebec program since day one has continued to grow. They really have focused on, they now have a national fair trade organic banana program, but it really started that seed was planted with that Equifruit program back in the day uh, when their director of produce procurement said, you know, you know what, if we're gonna sell organic bananas, they might as well be organic and fair trade. And I think that they appreciated supporting a small local female run business that was really 100% fair trade from the start. Just from a positioning standpoint, it made sense. And then we've continued to grow and build our skills as not just an importer, but really a marketer so that we can partner with our retailers or distributors and make sure that their end customers understand the differentiation between our product and the bananas that they we're used to buying in the past. Yeah, fantastic. Well, the, you know, there's there's real challenges on both ends of this supply chain. I mean, getting retailers to take something that they're going to have to charge a higher price for is a monumental. But on the other side, finding those farms and growers, the plantations, I don't know if you call them that anymore or not, but you have to develop those relationships and trust with them and make sure that they're treating their employees right. Can, can you tell us about that side a, a little bit? Sure. So Equifruit is certified by Fairtrade International. Fairtrade is spelt in one word. That's the way that they spell that certification. And that means that we only can partner with farms that have that same Fairtrade certification. So at the moment, we're working with farms in Ecuador, Nicaragua, Colombia, Peru, and Mexico. Okay. And um, fair trade is all audited by a third party, FlowCert. So there's a, a structure in place that tells an importer what are the minimum prices we have to respect year round. And then there are a number of standards that the farm has to respect with regards to uh, working conditions, 
you know, no forced child labor, for example, ensuring gender equity, and a number of norms that we might take for granted in the North, but are not necessarily standards in the global South. Right. So there is that third party verification to make sure that pricing and standards are being respected. Right. And on our on our end, the pricing is meant to reflect the cost of sustainable production. So every year that's reviewed and Fair Trade International is the only certifying body, the only fair trade certification where it's 50% owned by the growers themselves. So they sit at the board level and they they have a say in price and standards. Yeah, fantastic. Well, give us a picture of the landscape of banana growers over those decades that we talked about when they have not been fair trade and their employees and, and up to today, how it's changing. What challenges do they face and why is it important to help them solve those challenges? Yeah, well, we could talk about the history of the banana industry for hours yeah. and you'd need, you would need a box of tissue and a bottle of rum to get through it because it's pretty, pretty bleak. Yeah. Um, and things are improving, but they're not, they're far from perfect. And so is Equifruit. You know, I'm not saying that we're, we're God's gift to the earth, but we've decided to build a business within an ethical framework. And yes, the fruit is, uh, is a little bit higher at the retail level, but we're talking something like 20 more cents per pound, oh, which is okay. going to cost the consumer maybe seven or $8 more a year. We're not trying to make anybody go broke, but the, the difference with this mechanism is, is enormous. But essentially, you know, bananas, the large Maltese started in the late 1800s. And as I said earlier, their objective was to open up this market for bananas in North America and make bananas widely available at a very affordable cost. And how do you do that without pushing costs down to the beginning of the supply chain? Essentially, labor and land were just about free when things got started and countries were restructured to ensure an efficient supply chain was developed so that they could be vertically integrated and quickly get product from A to B. Yeah. And um, it's a really fascinating story of perseverance and goal setting if, if you look at it from that point of view but uh, I mean along the along the way uh, coups were formed wars were started yeah, governments term, were overthrown right. I mean the term banana republic right. doesn't just refer to a fancy clothing store yeah. it really refers to countries that were controlled by large banana companies and um, all for the purpose, again, to keep banana prices low and affordable and for retailers to kind of build their merchandising strategy around having this inexpensive fruit, something that everybody can enjoy no matter what your budget was. Yeah. Um, so yeah, the, I would recommend anybody who's, who's in the mood for rum and tissue to <laughs> jump on the internet tonight and you know, Google why are bananas so cheap, and yeah. you'll understand why, uh, what why that motivated a company like Equifruit to get started. To say there has to be a better way. We all love bananas; they can still be affordable, but there has to be a way to guarantee fair wages and safe standards and working conditions for the farmers because they really got the short end of the stick on that one. Right. Yeah. And I, I, I was, I was surprised that you say on average, it's only 20 cents more per pound for these. I had seen other places that was quite a bit more than that, but even then, even if it were a dollar more a pound for where I yeah. buy them, 
uh, you're paying less than the apples and oranges and a lot of other fruits and vegetables. So yeah. uh, it's there's certainly room for adding a bit more to it, in my opinion. Yeah, and it, it all depends on the retailer. I mean, we sell to Costco in Canada and their pricing is more competitive than some of our other retail partners. It really depends on what the margin structure is of the final retailer. Yeah. But, you know, all those prices that we have to respect to the farmers, they're all, they're all widely available and very transparent. You can go on fairtrade.net, click on the prices and premiums database, and you can look what, what is the FOB cost for a box of conventional bananas out of Ecuador versus Mexico versus Nicaragua. Um, and then you look at that, those fluctuating market prices, and they're often well below the cost of what's that fair trade sustainable cost. So, you know, when I have when I have banana exporters trying to sell me cases of bananas for literally two dollars a case, and I know that minimum prices started around nine, you know, where is that seven dollars going? Like right. we have to pay for the fruit. We know that the cost of the inputs, we know that the cost of shipping is fixed, trucking is fixed, ripening is fixed. You know, there's no there's no magic way to just evaporate that seven dollars. Somebody pays for it, and often banana farmers will have to sell at a loss. Right. But when you've been growing the fruit all year and it's ready to harvest, right? What are your choices? Let it right. rot or get two bucks rather than what you really needed to to feed your family and to be able to live in a dignified right. way. And our bananas, bananas are not, you know, avocados can stay on the tree. They don't ripen while they're still on the tree. But once they're picked, obviously, they got to get them to market. But I suppose bananas are not like that. If they are still on the, and it's not actually a tree, we'll talk about that later. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. The, once what? the fruit once the fruit is ready to harvest around yeah. nine months later, it, it needs to be harvested. Otherwise, you will see the effects in the way that it ripens later on. It can be yeah. more dehydrated. And so those drops in prices are, are not usually attributed to the fact that they're long on a product. They need to get it out and get it fast to market before it spoils. It's just somebody's well, certainly supply and demand play a role in it. Yeah. Um, you know, for example, once the, a year ago, once the war in Ukraine began, 25% uh, of the Ecuadorian banana export market was going to Ukraine and Russia. I mean, oh, wow. overnight, the largest exporter of bananas in the world had 25% more supply than needed. And, you know, I heard on, I heard on the, uh, you know, just from an inside source that you had banana cases selling at 25 cents a case, Whoa. just again, to move the product because right. you, you don't have a plan B for 25% of the country's supply. Right. Wow. That's so I guess, Can I even buy a box for 25 cents? <laughs> the, yeah, the... <laughs> Can they even buy a box to put them in for 25 cents? <laughs> that's a great question. Yeah, no, that's a year. It's a, it's a double loss, right? Yeah. I mean, it looks like they'd be better off dumping them than to ship them. Yeah. And in certain cases, it got to a point where product just wasn't being harvested because it would be cheaper to do that than to actually pay the pay the laborers to pack and ship. Mm -hmm. Well, you're certainly, you and uh, Equifruit, the people there, my hat's off to you. You're certainly... Uh, taking on a huge task uh, from my marketing uh, schooling days and marketing days when I worked in marketing, we called that a BHAG, 
You know what a BHAG is? A big, a big, hairy, audacious goal. goal. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) But it's, it seems like you're making progress. And from what I've seen, the creative marketing that you are putting together, uh, it's getting attention and it's, I think it can be very effective. So let's get, I think that what I was just talking about may signal uh, the meaning behind your title, Banana Badass. (laughs) Explain to our uh, listeners what you mean by that and what kind of reaction do you get when you (laughs) Yeah, it's right on my LinkedIn profile. I think I should I should probably just stick to director of sales and marketing, but banana badass is more fun, more clickbaity. So we refer to ourselves, our whole Equifruit team, and anybody that supports our mission, whether it be our retail or distribution partners or even our end consumers, we're building a league of banana badasses. And to us, that means people who recognize that there's opportunity for improvement in the banana industry and they're choosing the Equifruit brand as a way to invest in a more sustainable future and a brighter future for our farmers and for their communities. You know, as I said earlier, we're respecting that sustainable price to the farms. And what's really cool is we also have to pay something called a fair trade premium. So for every case that we buy, you know, in partnership with our retail and distributors, we have to, we also have to pay one US dollar per case. And that extra money, that fair trade premium, has to be reinvested in projects that have positive environmental, social, and economic impact. And that's all managed separately and it's all decided democratically by the farmers how to spend that money. And so if they wanna spend it on improving you know, their efficiencies in the way that they run their operation or and spend in their local communities, whether it be through health clinics or education, it's all audited. And then we have a full report at the end of the year. And, you know, just the other day, I was doing, we're working on a report for 2022 and I was going back to see to date how much money has gone back to the farms. And, you know, since 2007, since our first, first cases arrived to Canada, we have now given back over $2.5 million to our farmer communities. And we've seen the impact firsthand. Our team likes to go down at least once a year to visit with our farmer partners and, and see how things are developing at the farm level. And often, you know, this is not a charity where we are a for-profit business, but we just choose to work within an ethical framework. And there's this real sense of, of pride when we, when we get there to see that the work that we're doing in North America is having this impact at the farm level and our, our grower partners are also able to hold their heads up high knowing that they've found a partner like Equifruit who's willing to go out there and sure I could easily sell 25 cent banana cases right and make a quick buck turning them around and selling them for whatever I want but that's just not that's just not sustainable in the long term. And that's not the legacy that we wanna leave for our children and their children. We're standing up as a group of banana badasses and saying the way that bananas have been bought and traded over the last 150 years is not right. And although the large Maltese are making improvements in their sustainability commitments, at the end of the day, there isn't a worldwide commitment on fair pay to farmers. And so, if nobody else is going to do it, we're going to do it. And if it inspires change and it, and it forces the others to catch up with us, then that's awesome. We're not trying to do it by ourselves. We're not that delusional. 
Yeah, well, you make that impact, you raise the awareness and consciousness of people and the others take note, they will have to take note to some degree. But, you know, I think of a badass that you think about it in other realms, maybe in the entertainment or sports. Yeah, Those are people who are doing things differently in a way that it does make an impact, it gets people's attention and can make an impact if they're putting it to the right use. There's some badasses who are probably doing things that are not positive, but, but certainly what you're doing is positive. And I've seen a little bit of your marketing. Tell us about some of the creative things you're doing with the uh, at-store uh, merchandising. Yeah, so one of the things that we've learned over time is that although we would love to sit down with every customer that approaches an Equifruit display and give them a 20-minute story about the whole history of the banana industry and why they should choose Equifruit and what we're all about, People don't shop that way. You go to the produce aisle and you shop with your eyes. You look for the right color fruit. You look for quality produce. You look for freshness. And every now and then you come across a brand that has gone the extra mile and has packaged their produce in a way that's visually appealing. So if, if our retail partners don't take any of our merchandising solution and they just have the fruit on the shelf, our organic bananas have this funny band around them and it has messages like the only banana traverse aging or the only banana on 5G or the only banana to binge watch, kind of these impossible claims. And it's meant to be a joke because as you read further, you see that we'll say something like, you know, why can we binge watch a show for eight hours, but eight minutes learning about the fair trade universe seems too boring. You know, we'll make it quick. This is the only banana you should buy. And then we have right on our cases, the only banana you should buy. That's our trademark tagline. It's a way to get a conversation going with the consumer, with the retailer. Um, and it's been quite effective. So we have this bold and bright uh, merchandising or the fruit itself has this funny packaging on it. And we'll really go as crazy as the retailer lets us go. Uh, we've gone as far as you know, putting banners and signs but all the messaging is very, very simple and very crisp because we have half a second to catch your attention. So one of our most uh, popular signs, there's an orange saying, why fair trade? And then our banana says, farmers got to get paid. And that's it. That's the whole sign because even a five-year-old can understand that. And so we really want to message our you know, we know that there are five-year-olds who can read and there are 75-year-olds and we want to make sure that everybody sees this message and that that resonates with them. And um, then we have more silly ones, like, you know, you have our banana again um, and she's saying, I like long walks on the beach and paying farmers fairly. <laughs> so again, we're not, we're not like pulling out a scroll and, and making you learn all about how fair trade works and this complex, complex economic system. We're just saying we're a brand that's about paying farmers fairly. And that's the value add that we want you to understand so that if the retailer has adjusted by 20 cents or whatever they need to adjust it by at the retail level, you go, okay, I can do that. What is that going to cost me? Seven bucks a year? Done. One less Starbucks coffee. I got this. Yeah, that's very creative and, and very simple message, easy to convey quickly, but you're doing it also in creative ways. And I think that's great. Um, now you've been in the Canadian market for 
uh, since 2006, I think you said, uh, and you're just now beginning to get into the U.S. market. Are you in the U.S. market now? Are you? Do you, are you? We sell into the U.S. Um, to some of our Canadian customers. We're about to start selling to to some U.S. customers. Okay. I can't make any announcement yet, no, 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 but no, we're no, just no, finalizing. The ink is almost getting ready to dry. Okay. Um, but we have focused on U.S. market development for the last couple of years. And uh, we've been, we've started to exhibit at trade shows. We were at IFPA in Orlando in October. We've decided we're going to exhibit at uh, the OPS, the Organic Produce Summit in Monterey this July. I'll be speaking on a panel as well about sustainability. And then we plan again to exhibit at IFPA in Anaheim this October. Yeah. Uh, we also sponsor, you know, anybody that we really feel is going to get our message out there in a way that's speaking to the produce community and people that are interested in the work that we're doing. Yeah, fantastic. And plans to go into other parts of the global uh, market or you know, um, little, little yeah, baby I steps mean, maybe? <laughs> our, our mission at Equifruit is global fair trade banana domination. Oh, that's so right. We certainly are thinking about our strategy uh, once we're moving beyond the US. I was on a call this morning with Fair Trade Germany so Fairtrade International has different offices around the world. So when we're going to be selling into the U.S., we're going to be working with the uh, Fairtrade America group. And they, um, and then in Canada, we work with Fairtrade Canada. Anyways, Fairtrade Germany gave us a call because they're so enamored by the way that we're marketing our bananas and the brand that we're building that they wanted to see if they could help us you know, just think about our retail strategy in Germany. And we've had actually in the last six months, especially people started to reach out from all over asking when our bananas are going to become available or asking for pricing into different ports. We were branding a commodity that has typically been branded just around, you know, potassium and low price. And we have something more interesting to say, and we have a more fun way of saying it. Right. Oh, that's great. I know that in, I, I think I read somewhere that in uh, the UK, the banana market there is almost a third fair trade. Yeah, a little. So yeah, they're that's very right. open and already the wheel. The the what do they say? The wheels are greased. Is that the expression? A bit, maybe. Yeah, but, absolutely. Uh, so. And that's thanks. That's thanks to you know about fifteen years ago. You had Sainsbury's in the UK. They made a decision to go 100% fair trade in their whole banana category. Hmm. Not just organic fair trade, but conventional fair trade, all of their bananas and their whole section. And within six months, their two main competitors, Waitrose and the co-op, did the same thing. And that kind of kickstarted the UK into this path to becoming you know, a third of all bananas fair trade. And Switzerland is about... A little bit over 50 percent oh wow because you have these commitments from these large retailers that go 100 percent fair trade i know you're glad about that but doesn't that put a little pressure on your supply no oh my goodness the lineup is so long of right. people that are dying to work with us oh that's good it's crazy uh, we you know when i first started we were working with two farms and then that, that slowly grew to uh, three and then five and then we've just trialed with five more farms we work with combinations of, uh, of cooperatives of small producers and with plantations that are all fair trade certified but really we have a waiting list of farmers that know that equifruit is the brand to work with 
our president was at Fruit Logistica um, earlier in February, just oh, yeah. to be able to meet some of these people face to face and see if they could be good potential partners and not just bananas. I mean, people are saying, you know, we have fair trade pineapples or fair trade Pattaya, we have fair trade this and that. And they know that Equifruit is really that brand that's going to help open up the market. That was another question I had. Do you, right now, you're only selling bananas or do you have- Only selling bananas. Yeah, we're only selling bananas, but we have, we have plans to expand beyond bananas. Uh, We did do a recent trip to Costa Rica, exploring pineapples quite seriously. We've also done trips to Mexico to look into avocados as well. We had done avocados for a minute years ago um so yeah we definitely would love to expand beyond bananas but there's so much work to do in the banana space it's crazy yeah, right uh, plenty to do and you've got enough bhags <laughs> that's right that's right <laughs> okay what misconceptions i have a, I have a question you don't mind uh, are there any retailers in the u.s that are using fair trade on bananas so in the in the U.S. market, you do have some retailers, um, mostly smaller shops or small chains or independents, um, and I believe it's only organic fair trade bananas that are in the market. I don't think there are any conventional fair trade. So we offer both, and we want to add value to our growers. So as we move into the U.S., we have respect for all of the brands that are currently bringing in fair trade. We don't want to take any of their sales. We think it's awesome that they've got a foot in the market and we want to add more volume to our farmers and to to drive awareness of the fair trade mark. And of course, deliver more visibility for Equifruit as a brand. Fantastic. And has has your program uh, influenced other mainstream labels to offer fair trade? Or is it still the way it's always been? Well, I would say we've done a, I've done a good job in Canada in the last 12 months. Dole, Del Monte, and Chiquita have all gone out and started to source some bananas from fair trade farms in response to the, the demand from Canadian retailers. So, and Fife's already had it. So that's before Maltese. And I know that that pressure all started with work that Equifruit's done. So yeah. Fantastic. That's great. Okay. What misconceptions about bananas do you think our listeners might have as consumers not knowing a lot about bananas? For instance, I used to think that we buy bunches of bananas, mm -hmm. but I found out I was wrong. We don't buy bunches. (laughs) Right. We buy clusters. We buy clusters of bananas. Right. (laughs) So what other do do you can... Are there some other misconceptions about bananas that they might have? Or something that some surprising facts about bananas. That's what surprising facts. <laughs> well, surprising facts, bananas are a berry. The plant they're is a, berry. a herb. Yes, they're in the their family of herbs. So they don't grow on a tree. They don't ripen on the tree. Uh-huh. Um, most people are aware that bananas need to be professionally ripened. So they're all cut green for the export market. And they're shipped in containers where they're in a temperature controlled environment. And then they have to go into these special rooms where they use a combination of heat, humidity, and ethylene gas, the same natural gas that the fruit emits in order to guide the ripening process. And it's a very delicate science. And the more carefully it's done, 
the more beautiful the fruit will look at retail and the longer the shelf life. Yeah. So they don't ripen on the, I started to say tree. They mm-hmm. don't ripen on the, what is it called? The stalk, the herb, I don't know. On the plant. On, on the, the plant. plant. Yeah. <laughs> okay. They don't ripen there. They have to be cut before they'll start to ripen, but then they still need some help. Yeah. So at, if, you know, if the fruit is being cut in Ecuador for the Ecuadorian market, it's just going to sit and the, the climate, the heat, the humidity will kind of kickstart that process where the starches begin to convert to sugars. Um, but in North America, all of our fruit is professionally ripened. And then we also ripen other commodities like avocados and tomatoes right. and Right. You know, anything that produces ethylene gas. I, I think that the biggest misconception, though, about bananas is that because they're so cheap everywhere you go, no matter where you go, there's just this assumption, I think, that they're supposed to be cheap, that there's just this economy of scale and these huge companies have found a way to just get them to us at a, at a cheaper price. But when you look at the complexities of the supply chain and all the work that goes into ripening, even, um, it's yeah there's there's a certain there's a huge portion of education that's required for people to then care about why we need a solution so we're really we really have a lot of work to do yeah but you're doing it and you've got some creative ways to do it so congrats hats off to you yeah you know i i did have another question okay good we can what i wanted to ask you was you mentioned no forced child labor now, does that mean that children can work the farms if they want to? Because I know our kids, us kids, worked <laughs> worked when we wanted to or loved it because we, we worked the farm in the farming business because we wanted to, because we wanted yes. to earn money. And so yes. uh, are children allowed to work in the industry if they want to then? Sure. So that's a great question. Nobody's asked me that before, but I think it should be addressed for sure. Um, Yes. So of course, especially in the case of uh, small farmers, you know, small producer farmers, often Uh it's family units and there might be school aged children in the family unit. And so Fair Trade International does have policies around at which age children might contribute to their family's farm. And how how that how to essentially the most important thing is that it doesn't interfere with their education um so in the case of the no forced child labor we want to make sure that children have the right to an education and that if and that nobody is forcing them to be on the farm and that that interferes with their education if you look for example a, a really a great example of this is in the cocoa industry um you know, you, I'm sure you've heard of fair trade coffee and fair trade chocolate. It's so important to support fair trade cocoa because fair trade cocoa is really known for having a lot of forced child labor and forced and child enslavement in cocoa. Mm. So children, especially in different countries in Africa, are promised, you know, a certain type of job or commitment or whatever it is or a better life, and they find themselves working without any pay in these cocoa fields. And it's because their little hands can hold a cocoa pod and cut off the husks without the machete chopping their fingers off. Oh, wow. You know, it's really, really disturbing. Um, 
But in the case of bananas, you still do see some forced child labor. It's not that it doesn't exist. And so fair trade uh, with the help of FlowCert just tries to mitigate that and make sure, because we want these, we want this next generation of farmers to grow up and to take over their family farm. So certainly they're learning certain skills, but education is a priority. Wow, that's interesting. Thanks for sharing that. Yeah, yeah. you know, it, and, you know, you talked about the long journey they they have to get to this country, even. Um, my husband, uh, who is now deceased, worked for the Packer at one time, and yeah. he did a story on, you know, and he, and he followed bananas from harvest all the way oh, wow. to being loaded on a, on a ship. And at one point he fell in a canal and <laughs> at another point he almost got washed over <laughs> into the ocean on a barge. Wow. So, you know, it's a pretty treacherous uh, existence there. Too, it is, uh, yeah. it is. I think if any, any retailer were to take a week and go down and visit where their bananas come from and see how much work and how arduous the conditions are for banana farming. And then think back to how they are using bananas as a loss leader at retail, all so that they could drive margin in other categories. And if they knew that it would cost them cents more per pound to switch to an Equifruit brand, it would be a, a no-brainer and that's really that's really what's led to all that growth in the European market you know you did have retailers go down and see with their eyes the impact that fair trade was having at, at the farm level and it was like oh my god I, I couldn't do that like full day of this work for one day and these folks are working in hot human conditions with long sleeves there's mosquitoes it's I remember working there was a at the time she was 62 and she was using her, her machete she knew the right angle to kill the mosquito with her machete i'm like <laughs> oh my gosh this is a whole other world yeah. and so physically intense you know to carry when you cut that when you cut that big bunch of bananas off the plant and they put that on their shoulders that's about a hundred pounds of bananas yeah. And, you know, we're used to holding maybe 100 pounds. Let's say if you're a Costco shopper, you can do 50 on each shoulder. But, you know, 100 pounds <laughs> on your shoulder is, yeah. it's your neck feels like it's going to snap. And they're just all day bringing fruit to the packing station. You know, so one example of how fair trade premium was invested, that dollar per case in Peru, they invested in a cable system so that they can now only walk a couple feet attach the, the fruit to a, a hook and then, then it would just be pulled to the packing station because they saw this immediate opportunity to improve infrastructure in the farm and expedite that process and then thinking about the health and well-being of the farmers mm. you know and you, you need you need money to make those improvements and when the whole mm. industry is nickel and diming you you're just stuck in a cycle of poverty and it has disastrous consequences downstream in the supply chain right. mm -hmm. Thanks. Now, let's get back to Kim a little bit. I read that you have a degree in psychology. Is that, how has that helped you? In, I'm sure it's helped you in your career. How has it helped you in your career? <laughs> yeah, I think um, studying psychology, I've always studied things that interested me. I didn't necessarily have a plan for where I would end up professionally. I was actually really interested in marketing and advertising. I thought I might work for an agency one day. I was thinking about doing communication. Even, even before you decided to major in psychology, you had that. Yeah, I was kind of playing around with 
that was really what fascinated me when I had a great English teacher who also taught us media back in high school. And I used to sit after class with her and we would just look at print ads together and just dissect them. And I've always been interested in stand-up comedy and how you can use words and images to influence emotion. And so then studying psychology was just a natural next step for me to, it felt almost like a life skill to study psychology, to understand how we think, why we think, how we feel, what influences our decisions. Um, and, and so, yeah, that's served me well in my sales career, certainly. I mean, my very first real sales job, I was going door to door, business to business, selling, selling a product. And, you know, you have to quickly oh. be able to <laughs> kind of disarm people's natural instincts are like what are you doing here why are you here how can I get rid of you and no, I no, have no. to I have to disarm you and get you to like me and then buy what I'm selling immediately and wow. so door to I, door. yeah I, mean, I did that for about five years <laughs> through college and university so wow. that's tough, um man. yeah I think psychology is just yeah just like the cooking degree that I did after that it was just like a life skill something that I was interested in and I, I kind of, I think I, my parents always gave me the confidence to think that you can, you can do whatever you want to do, but study what's interesting to you. And you can always make a change. There wasn't this pressure to have it figured out by, by this age. And then you have to go in this direction and then you have to become this and that's it. There wasn't one formula. Yeah. Well, that's interesting. You mentioned that you, uh, got a cooking degree or mm -hmm. I don't know what it exactly was. So tell us about that. Are you able to use that much? And just, oh, is it just a husband. hobby? <laughs> I'm sure he's very Ask happy. my children. Yeah. <laughs> Mostly yeah, at home. And you said you had a catering business for a while too. So I'm sure that was. Very... I worked in the catering industry. I was an oh, event okay. planner, but I worked closely with the kitchen to develop recipes. And I loved that part of it. I love, you know, all of the planning and execution that goes around catering. Right. Um, it was very high stress, kind of prepared me for the produce oh, industry yeah. Yeah. in that it was very high stress. You had to, you had to nail it hundred percent of the time. Otherwise you would lose that customer. It's all about repeat business. Right. And so um, paying attention to detail, going the extra mile, exceeding the expectations of your customer. Um, you know, when I talk to my team here at Equifruit about the type of sales we do, it's it's not like selling a car where you sell a car once and maybe you'll see that customer again in, I don't know, 15 years. You're selling them the bananas every week, every month, every year, and you want to maintain that long-term relationship. And so uh, it, it's a whole other process and you have to establish that trust and good communication and respect and transparency so that we can grow together. We can deliver value to their business and they can deliver value to our business, which has impact for our growers. Right, great, good relationships, important across the thing. And you're building a community, a global community. And uh, I think that's uh, something that's very important, uh, not just selling something for profit. Great. So you said you were interested in stand-up comedy. Did you do stand-up comedy? <laughs> No, I've never been so brave to do stand-up comedy. If this yeah. banana thing goes bust, maybe you'll find me in a, in a club one day well, we'll <laughs> after come a bottle you. of rum. But no, I've never tried. I've never tried. I just, I love stand-up comedy. I, I love to listen to stand-up comedy. And I find, I think it all goes back to that inter 
in advertising and marketing and how you use words in a certain combination and to know that any any um, bit that you know has been refined to the point where it gets to a special has been refined and refined over time I just find that fascinating yeah it is there's certainly an art to it yeah but anyway well speaking of comedy we have a segment on each episode on the produce buzz called home grown ah. <laughs> this is a segment that when which Teresa brings out one of her terrible puns and she tells yeah. it to us. We try to guess the answer, but once she, we rarely guess the answer, but once she tells us, we groan because it's not fun. You can't laugh. You got to groan. Okay. <laughs> so you get the play home grown, right? Home grown. Got anyway, it. Got it. So Teresa's got one prepared for us today, and she's going to tell us. I'm going to introduce it. So, Produce Buzzers podcast fans, it's time for your favorite segment on the Produce Buzzers podcast. Yes, it's time for Homegrown. Uh. It's time for Teresa to pun issue with one of her puns. So, Teresa, what's the Homegrown today? Okay. So, based on our topic today, this may seem easy to you, but it's a little more complicated than it will sound at first, first glance. What is the craziest food? What is the craziest food? Yes. What is the craziest <laughs> food? <laughs> well, I, I, it's got to be bananas because you're going bananas. No? Did I get it wrong? <laughs> Somewhat related. Anybody else? Say like non-fair trade bananas. Uh, <laughs> Always getting the, the, the get that in right there. Hand, yeah. That's right. <laughs> right. That's okay. Great. Rick, Rick, no guess? guess. Well, Edwin's guess was mine. So okay. Well, what is the craziest food? Banana nut bread. Because if it ain't bananas, it's nuts. Oh, that was really bad. Uh, <laughs> I always yeah. laugh at them anyway. <laughs> Kim, that doesn't yeah. stack up to the stand-up comedy uh, quality, <laughs> does it? <laughs> well, that's yeah. the point of our home ground. <laughs> Has a stand-up comedian ever just told puns for his routine? Somebody used to do that. Who's it? There was a one. Was it? What's the name of that guy that used to do that? Wasn't it? Wasn't that uh, the carrot top? Do you remember the comedian, the carrot top? He had all these yeah, props. Yeah. He'd bring yes. out these props, and he would, you know, he totally. would say something, and the prop would be. I'm sure he has tons right. of banana bits. <laughs> yeah, probably. Yeah. Okay, that's enough comedy and fun. Let's get back to your serious mission that you're on to change the banana industry, make it fair trade, and how people can join your crusade. Listeners, we have some listeners. We have quite a few listeners in Canada, so look for Equifruit in your stores there. And those of you in the U.S. coming soon, coming soon to a produce aisle near you. So ask your start asking your retailers about. It. In fact, I think if you go to Equifruit.com, you have a form there on your website where consumers can ask 
they're I don't know how it works. I didn't go do it. I'm, I apologize. Tell us how what they can do to get their retailers thinking about it. Yeah, I'm glad you brought that up. We're in the process of setting it up for the U.S. too, where you'll be able to, we do, we make it so easy for you. You just have to click the retailer of your choice that you'd like to stock Equifruit Bananas. We pre-populate a really funny and clever message, and then you just press send, and it'll go right to the produce department or to the customer service department. And then we get notified anytime that somebody has sent a message. So that's kind of the funnest part of my inbox. You have these strangers around the world that are saying, hey, so-and-so, I noticed you don't carry Equifruit bananas and did you know, blah, 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 blah. So yeah, we try to make it easy for you. That's brilliant. Great yeah. idea. Very simple. So do that, listeners. You'll have fun doing it. Their website sure. is fun. It's like a video yeah. game. <laughs> it is. It is. We designed it to feel like a video game. So your, your mouse is going to turn into a shark and then you can eat our banana. And it's, uh, it's just a way to keep you, keep you awake. Yeah. Because it's a pretty heavy, you know, we covered some pretty heavy stuff today, but right. if it's light and it's in digestible sound bites and you, you're feeling the energy, then you're motivated to keep going. And we try to keep it super fun on all of our social media. So yeah. if you look us up on TikTok, Instagram, uh, LinkedIn, Twitter, Facebook, we're at Equifruit. And uh, the Packer named us best social media in 2021. Oh. We're definitely doing things different. We're Lots of really funny memes and bold content. We try to make you laugh every week while you're learning. That's great. Well, thank you so much, Kim. It's really a delight. I'm so, so moved by what you're accomplishing there. Congratulations and keep up the good work. Thank you so much. All right. <laughs> Take care. Thank you. Thanks. Bye-bye. All right. Bye-bye, everybody. Bye-bye. Well, thank you listeners for tuning in to the Produce Buzzers podcast, brought to you by Produce Buzz, the gathering place for lovers of fresh fruits and veggies. We hope you were entertained a bit and educated a lot about fresh produce. Be sure to join us next time, and please tell your friends to do so as well. Like, share, and comment on our Produce Buzz Facebook page, and check out our website at www.producebuzz.com There you will find articles about fresh fruits and veggies how to select, store, and prepare them as well as lots of interesting facts about all the wonderful bounty the earth provides for us Until next time be fruitful and don't forget to veg out